morning and pray that the words of my mouth now and the meditations of all our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, I wonder if you've experienced home learning or lockdown uh, the way I have this week and wondered if it's teaching you the same lesson as the Lord of the Flies, uh, that left to our own devices, a mess is sure to follow. I think uh, the, the great Christmas lesson of Home Alone teaches us something similar but with comedic value. Left to our own devices, a mess is sure to follow, with a secondary lesson being that parents aren't as confident as they think they are. Uh, we arrive to the story of Abraham and his journey to life, which is the journey of faith in God's promises. Uh, when we arrive there, Genesis has already established for us the hopeless state of humanity, left to our own devices, the mess of sin and death are sure to follow. Uh, sin that says, I will do my life my way, that's what brought murder and rape and famine and war and shame into the world that God had made for his humanity to enjoy a relationship with him, our loving creator and Lord. But because of sin, this is now a world where, as God observes in chapter 8, every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. It's a world where people don't want to live under God's love and care, but want to elevate themselves and make their own names great, chapter 11. And it's to this world, a world trapped under the mess of sin and death, a world under God's judgment, a world broken and alienated from our loving ruler and creator, it's to that world that God makes enormous promises that through this one man, Abram, and his family nation that would grow through him, God would bring blessing for the whole world. Through Abram and Sarah, through the enormous family that they've been promised but are yet to receive, those promises that God makes to Abram are repeated and confirmed and restated over and over and over again in the chapters that we find ourselves in. And the reason is that Abram is a bit like you and a bit like me, a little bit slow of learning. And because our inclination is to sin, because our inclination is to revert back to life our way and I'll do it by myself, instead of entrusting ourselves to the God who made us and loves us. The Bible is crystal clear that that is the path of mess and strife. That is the path of sin and death. Alternatively, the journey to life, which is the journey of faith, is the life that rests in God's promises and walks in his ways and delights in his achievements rather than our own. And so week after week in this story of Abram's journey to life, his uh, in trusting himself to God's promises and seeking to walk in his ways, we're going to keep being realigned week after week. 
hearing things said again and again in order to bring our lives, like Abram, back under the sound of God's promises, to be in relationship with him, to enjoy his blessing and to belong to his family by trusting in him. And that's where we once again find ourselves in Genesis 15 today. We saw last week that Abram had a great high point of trusting God in chapter 14, that having successfully defeated four kings from the east and recovered his nephew Lot and a truckload of possessions, Abram, as we get to chapter 15, he's on the move again. And yet, having succeeded in chapter 14, with favour and blessing and faith, When we get to the start of chapter 15, Abram is still battling fear and he's still battling doubt and we get that sense because that's how God addresses him. Chapter 15, verse 1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, do not be afraid. You can imagine it's a restless night that having won the battle... Abraham's reflecting, surely there's another one just around the corner. And none of this matters if Sarah and I remain infertile. I'm 85, she's 75, God's promised children. All I can see are hangers-on who aren't my children. Are they meant to be the heirs? Is this what God has promised? And the God who sees our hearts and who knows our thoughts speaks to Abram. Do not be afraid. That's a promise and a command from God that will be heard hundreds and hundreds of times throughout the Bible. And the reason that the words, do not be afraid, carry such weight and such comfort for God's people, no matter what disastrous, terrifying or impossible circumstances they find themselves in, is because of what comes next. Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. Facing disastrous, terrifying and impossible circumstances, God's people can always find comfort in the promise not to be afraid if He is your shield and your very great reward. When the sovereign creator and the almighty God says, I am yours and I am for you, I will protect and keep you, then you do not need to be afraid. And as amazing as that command and promise is, the comfort isn't immediate for Abram. He's still gripped by fear and doubt because of what he doesn't know and what he doesn't have and what he cannot see. So verse 2, Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. The inquiry and the doubt become accusation and impatience for him. What can you give me? Abram asks the God who's just promised to give him himself. You have given me no children. I have no heir of my own. 
a servant ringing from Damascus is next in line? Is that the great promise of a family and a future? And the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, don't you, I love love that little line, that God took him outside. There's gentleness in those words, I think. As Abram is racked by fear and doubt, God doesn't reprimand him or yell at him or scoff at him or dismiss him. God meets him where he is and it's as if God takes him outside by the hand and gently places his fingers under Abram's chin and tilts his head upwards in the darkness of the Middle Eastern night sky look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That faith that Abram displays, believing the Lord, taking him at his word, it is not, as many want us to believe, a leap in the darkness. It is not believing despite the evidence to the contrary. That's not what God asked Abram to do. And why is he not taking a leap in the darkness if he is to trust God's promise? Because breaking up the darkness of that Middle Eastern sky is the brilliance and dazzling beauty of the stars. The darkness is broken by the brilliance of the stars, the stars that speak of the unfathomable power and the utter faithfulness of God. He says to Abram, see that million or so stars? I made them out of nothing. And see the stars that you can see? There are billions more like them. I made them too. Abram, you know what I've done. Abram, you know who I am. Abram, you know what I've said. And when I speak, that's what will happen. What I've said to you, you know I will do. And Abram believed the Lord. He believes that the almighty and sovereign star maker could very easily be the sovereign and almighty child maker too. As he looks at the stars, God is showing him big numbers. Big numbers of offspring who will belong to his family, billions throughout history who have taken God at his word and trusted in Jesus and so are children of Abram. But he's not simply showing him the numbers, God is showing him his credentials. Abram, see the stars that you cannot count, I can count them. I made them, you can trust me. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. I think too often we get walking by faith and walking by sight the wrong way around. 
we think that walking by faith means walking in uncertainty and darkness, crossing our fingers and hoping for the best. No, it means trusting the faithful God who makes promises and whose credentials are all around us. And so whatever impossible, terrifying, disastrous circumstances we face, we know that there is a solid, sovereign and powerful God in control who can be taken at His word and believed. Too often we think that what we can see and what we can do and what we can lay our hands on can be trusted and that the God we cannot see can't be trusted. But the problem is that what we see and what we do and what we have, it can't be trusted. It can't be trusted to see us through and it can't be trusted to make us right with God. What is seen is temporary. What is seen is fleeting. What is seen is fading. What is unseen is eternal. What God promises is truly certain and truly lasting and truly secure. And we know that to be true, don't we? We know that the job that we think brings security can easily be taken by a restructure. That the money that we think gives us contentment can be lost in a downturn. That the fitness that we think gives us longevity can be stolen by a bacterial infection. That the family that we think will give us a legacy can be tragically lost in an accident. Life in this world is more precarious than we often like to admit and I think a pandemic has surely highlighted that for us. And so maybe trusting the promises of the star maker, maybe trusting in the word of the promise giver is more solid and reliable than we like to think. That that's not the place of taking a leap into the darkness, a step into uncertainty, that trusting the star maker and putting our faith in the promise giver, that that's taking a step from the sinking sand of this world to the solid rock of our salvation. Maybe Jesus, the death defeater, is more solid than we like to think. Maybe taking God at his word on the unseen eternity and receiving him as our shield and our great reward gives us more assurance and security than our own capacity can ever do, than the seen and the temporary things that we like to cling to could ever do. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That response of Abram to believe God and take him at his word and therefore for God to say that is right, that is how you relate to me. That is how to walk by faith in this world. Well, that has set the pattern for God's people until this very day. 
just like you and me, Abram hadn't worked everything out and Abram hadn't done anything. There's still much he doesn't know and still much he cannot see, but he places himself and the unseen future in the very capable hands of the sovereign creator who speaks and makes promises. He believes the Lord. That is all he's done. He believes the Lord. That is all he's done. And God says, that trust, that faith, taking me at my word, that is the right way to have me as your shield and great reward. That is the right way to relate to God in this world. And having addressed those promises of children that God will give him a people, God then repeats his promise of a land, he will give him a place. Because though Abram believed God, and God counted that as righteousness, Abram's doubts persisted. They don't instantly disappear. God says to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? Do you see the challenge of faith and doubt? It's not black and white. It's not linear. God patiently again says to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to to God, cut them in pieces and ranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As God seeks to confirm his promises to Abram, he asks him to bring him a heifer, a goat, a ram of three years old and a dove and a young pigeon. And instantly Abram goes, oh, okay, I know what to do with these. I'll cut them in half and position the halves opposite each other, making an aisle. The reason that Abram instantly knew what to do with the animals God had asked to be brought to him, because that's how they made a contract in their day. Abram knows God is confirming his promises by making a contract, a covenant, a commitment. Formalising this relationship that's been established by promises, God says, I will make a covenant with you. What's going on with these animals cut in half is similar to what happens at a wedding that happens here when someone walks down the aisle. We don't have cut up carcasses on either side, but we do have a table where we sign our names. Where we make covenant promises. We witness covenant promises between a man and a woman for life. And they sign on a piece of paper to say, I am committing myself to the promises that I have made and to the consequences of me breaking those promises. God is formalising his promises in a covenant ceremony that crystallises this relationship that he's established with Abraham by promise. And God says, I am taking responsibility for the consequences of breaking this commitment to you. 
You see, what would happen when you come to sign a contract in this day, you'd cut these animals in half and put them on either side and then the two parties who are covenanting with one another would walk between the carcasses enacting this visual display, this visual contract signing, as if to say, if I don't keep my word, may I be torn to pieces like these dead animals. May this happen to me if I do not keep my commitment to this bargain. And so does God ask Abram to walk between the carcasses? What does Abram do to formalise his covenant commitment to God? Well, no, God has already credited him with righteousness because he has trusted in his promises. And so where does Abram go? He goes to bed. You sleep. You rest. This covenant, Abram, is not on your shoulders. This covenant, Abram, doesn't depend upon your faithfulness. It depends upon God's faithfulness. And so as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated there but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age and in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full, full measure." God says to Abram, I will give you this land, know it for certain, but not in your lifetime. I will give it to your children's children, to the fourth generation, a few hundred years from now. And we see through from the end of Genesis through Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers how all of that plays out for us. And with Abram asleep, God alone then signs the contract. God alone takes responsibility for this covenant, for this relationship formalised through promise and through sacrifice. Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces... We know, don't we, that God is a consuming fire, that when his presence is represented in this world, it's often seen as bright light, as fire, as darkness. God takes on both sides of this deal with the consequences of failure and faithlessness resting on God's shoulders alone. The only question mark is on the side of Abram and his children. Can they keep the faith? But God takes the guesswork out of it. 
You see, the blessing of God's promises and him being the shield and reward of all who trust in him, it doesn't rest on Abram. It doesn't rest on what his offspring will, if, whether his offspring will do their bit. It rests on God alone. And he acts out the curse that he's taking upon himself. May I be torn apart like these animals if I fail in this covenant. If my commitment to my promises is broken, may my immortality suffer mortality. May I be cut off and may my, may my body be ripped to pieces. The Bible is chock full of God's repeated covenant faithfulness faithfulness to his promises. He makes promises and he keeps them. And as we follow the story, we see that the Bible is also chock full of the repeated patterns of human mess in attempting to do life our way and the sin that entangles and endangers and destroys our lives and destroys God's world. But the curse of that covenant faithlessness, the consequences of that breaking of God's covenant, well, here in Genesis 15, so long ago, God said to his people, you just take me at my word. You trust me for the outcome of these promises and I'll even bear the consequences of your faithlessness along the way. I'll even be willing to be cursed in your place in order to be for you your great shield and your reward. As one writer has said, the only way God could make this covenant commitment any clearer is if he physically stepped into the world and took this covenant curse upon himself. And he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And on that first Good Friday, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon and at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is willing to be cursed for us in order to keep his promises to us and be for us our shield and our great reward. How? By faith that he counts as righteousness. By the same faith of Abram, which says, I am fully convinced that God will keep all of his promises, that he will keep his covenant and that he will even take the curse of our failures upon himself 
in order that we might enjoy the fulfilment of his promises forever. Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says that being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised, Abram believed the Lord. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, Jesus was delivered over death to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So that with our faith in Him and His righteousness credited to us, having taken the curse of our covenant faithlessness upon Himself, we might enjoy the fullness of His promises forever that he will be for us our great shield and our great reward. No matter what terrifying, no matter what unknown, no matter what disastrous circumstances might fa- we, we might face in this life, we know that God is utterly faithful to his promises. That the one who made the stars the one who made you and me was torn to pieces on the cross in order that we might enjoy his protection and his provision and his reward forever. And so with Abram we believe And God graciously credits that as righteousness. We're going to sing and reflect on that together.